0: We good? Good morning? Uh, it's a good thing that B.J. Hall is not here this morning, although I understand. Did we pray for her that, I guess, she separated her shoulder? Yeah. Um, and she did it in, in her native land of Canada. So I don't know if that makes it all the more poignant or what, but I'll let you work that out. Um, but uh, this is the kind of sermon that she hates. So... Uh, In some ways, I guess it's good that she's not with us this morning. Um, One of the things that I've learned now, having been in vocational ministry for coming on 15 years, is that um, pronouns are funny things. And that they're often not used with great accuracy. So, for example, the phrase, we need to talk, does not usually mean we need to talk. Usually it means I need to talk at you, or you need to listen to me talk at you. Also in the realm of marital relations, we need to go to counseling quite often really means somebody saying, I think you are screwed up in the head and I want to take you to somebody who will tell you that and make you change. Quite often, it is the person who wants the other person to change that is the one who really needs more help, but we won't get into that. In our house, we have uh, this problem with pronouns actually extending not only to uh, personal pronouns, but to demonstrative pronouns, like that can go outside now is Mary's way of saying, I want you to take that outside now. <laughs> so grammar is a funny thing, and uh, really, pronouns are at the heart of the conundrum of our passage this morning. We're actually going to be in this passage for the next uh, two weeks as well. As I'm, as I'm reading this, I, I'm struck by the fact that, frankly, we could spend a year on Romans 7, and That would mean we'd take five years instead of four to go through Romans. Some of you might like that. But what I want to do this morning is throw a whole bunch of things up in the air and hope that in the next few weeks we can make some order out of them, that we can start to make some sense out of them. But there are some times when you can simply nudge things that are off kilter, And put them right, and then there are other times when you need to really disassemble the whole mess, lay it all out, and then figure out how to put it back together. And it may well be the case that this is true of Romans 7, or maybe not. I'll start from the beginning of the chapter. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know Torah, The Torah has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the Torah that binds her to him. So then if he marries another man while her husband's still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that uh, Torah and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to Torah through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit from God, for God. For when we were controlled by our flesh, the sinful passions aroused by Torah were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, dying to what once bound us, we have been released from Torah so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So what then shall we say? Is Torah sin? Absolutely not. Nevertheless, I wouldn't have known what sin was had it not been for Torah. Or I wouldn't have known what coveting really was if Torah had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded, by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Apart from Torah, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from Torah. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, Torah is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? Absolutely not. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now, we know that Torah is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, that very thing I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that Torah is good, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out, for I don't do the good i want to do but the evil i don't want to do this i keep on doing now if i do what i don't want to do it is no longer i who do it but it is sin living in me that does it and so i find this torah at work although i want to do good evil's right there with me for in my inner being i delight in god's torah but i see another torah at work in me waging war against the Torah of my mind, making me a prisoner of the Torah of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's Torah, but in my flesh a slave to the Torah of sin. Here's our problem, the I. In Greek is ego, ego. That's where you get the term ego in psychology. Ego is simply a Greek word for I. The question is, who is the I to whom Paul is referring here? Is Paul saying, I, is in I, Paul, the dude who's writing you this letter right now? Maybe he is. Maybe Paul, the apostle, writing to the church at Rome, is saying, Once I was alive apart from Torah, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. Through the commandment, put me to death. Maybe that's Paul telling the story of his life, his life under Judaism. I mean, elsewhere he talks about that life in a way where he describes how successful he was and how righteous he was according to the law, but maybe here he's also talking about the internal narrative, the psychology of realizing his own sinfulness. Maybe Paul is saying to his friends in Rome, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Maybe Paul is saying this is what it's like to be Paul. This is what it's like to be me. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate That's the very thing I do. Maybe Paul himself is saying, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do this, but it is sin living in me. As it is, it may be that Paul is saying, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Paul, that is, in my flesh. For I, Paul, have the desire to do what is good, but I, Paul, cannot Carry it out. I, Paul, find this work, this law, this Torah at work. Although I, Paul, want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I, Paul, delight in God's Torah, but see another Torah at work in me, in Paul, which wages war against the Torah of my mind makes me, Paul, a prisoner of the law, the Torah of sin, at work within me. What a wretched man I, Paul, am. So then I, Paul, I myself in my mind, a slave to God's Torah, but in my flesh, I, Paul, am a slave to the Torah of sin. What might be some of the problems with reading the text this way? With reading the "I" as referring to Paul. Sorry, what's that? That's true. If you're reading it as if this is, boy, Paul's a, a, got a real tr- problem here, doesn't he? Good thing. Good thing we don't. What else? What else might be problem with reading it this way? Yeah. Does Paul seem? I mean, up to this point, does he sound like the kind of guy who's going to say, "Hey, I'm a slave to sin"? No. In fact, all of chapter six is all about Paul saying, "You're no longer a slave to sin," right? And uh, presumably, Paul is not going to say, "You're no longer a slave to sin, but I am." No. Yeah. Paul seems to talk more about sort of living. The victorious life in Christ is a slave of righteousness, not a slave to sin. So this seems a little out of place for Paul, right? Hmm. Well, who else might it be? Maybe maybe it doesn't work for this to be Paul, at least Paul, the guy writing this letter as a believer in Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Who else might Paul be talking about? What's that? Saul. Yes. Who said that? Oh, thank you. I thought it was the baby. Yeah. Could it be Saul? Of course, Saul was Paul's name before Paul experienced his conversion, before Paul came to understand Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, Messiah. So Saul, maybe, is the voice that's speaking here. Let's see if that works right? Paul This uh, now speaking as Saul. Saul, I, Saul, would not have known what sin was had it not been for Torah. I, Saul, wouldn't have known what coveting really was if Torah had not said, you shall not covet. Now, this sounds very much like Saul. This is definitely, this works so far, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting, Apart from Torah, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from Torah, but when the commandment came, sin, sin sprang to life and I died. And I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then Torah is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. thats I mean, Saul would certainly have said that, maybe Saul in an introspective moment, might have realized what was working inside his head, inside his soul, realizing that Torah had been hijacked by sin. Of course, his understanding is the answer to that is Torah. But this could work, right, so far? Paul talking about his life, his former life, as a young rabbi in a hurry. Let's keep reading, see if this works. So... I, Saul, am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I, Saul, don't understand what I do, for I, what I, Saul, want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I, Saul, do. This could, this could work, right? This could be Paul looking back on his life, trying to follow Torah, trying to live a life of full obedience under, under the covenant that God had made with his people. And, and this could simply be Paul speaking in the historical present, you know, as a as a, a way of of telling the story, where you're using the present tense, but you're actually talking about things that were happening before. And if I saw do what I don't want to do, I agree that Torah is good. Saul is never going to think anything else about Torah. It's no longer I saw myself, but it's sin living in me. I saw. I know the good. Itself doesn't dwell in me that is in my flesh. I, Saul, have that desire to do what's good, but I, Saul, cannot carry it out. Now, hmm. Was Saul the kind of guy who would think he, didn't, he couldn't carry out what was good? Yes, no, maybe? No, no. Saul was quite confident that he could do what he needed to do. This may not work as well. I, Saul, don't do the good. I want to do the evil. I don't want to do this. I keep on doing hmm, and if we move on, in my inner being I delight in God's Torah, but I see another Torah at work in me, waging war against the Torah of my mind, making me a prisoner of the Torah of sin at work within me. What a wretched man who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, I mean, that could work. Right, if Paul is saying that the only thing that could deliver Saul was Jesus. So maybe that kind of works, but then in some ways it doesn't seem to fit as well, does it? Hmm. Who else could it be? Who else could be the I? If it's not Paul now, it's not Paul then. Everyone! So maybe I means I as a prototypical human being. And everyone, that would be everyone, everyone, right? Everyone, everyone, every human being. Yeah. And if we read it that way, then we'd say when when sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting, this would apply to Jews in what way? The actual written commandment. But if we go back to what we were reading earlier on in Romans, how for somebody who isn't a Jew would the commandment produce that kind of, covening. What commandment would somebody who isn't a Jew have? Yeah, law in their heart, conscience, right? So for a Jew, it's revealed Torah. For a Gentile, it's conscience. And that is the pickle that we get into because then sin hijacks, whether it's hijacking Torah or hijacking our conscience. It produces in us all kinds of unclean desires. People want to root for the stealers and such. So <clears throat> Torah is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good, and so did that which is good then become death to a typical human being? By no means, nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about the death of a human being, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now we know that Torah is spiritual, but I, a human being, an everyday Joe... I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I, a human being, don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that's the very thing that I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I, a human being, agree that Torah is good. As it is, it's no longer I, a typical human being myself, who do it. But it is sin living in me, a human being, And I know that good itself does not dwell in me, a human being, that is in my flesh. For I, a human being, have the desire to do what is good, but I, a human being, cannot carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I, a human being, do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I, a typical human being, who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, I find this Torah at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, a typical human being. For in my inner typical human being, I delight in God's Torah. But I see another Torah at work in me, waging war against the Torah of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me, a typical human being. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, a typical human being, in my typical human mind, am a slave to God's Torah, but in my flesh, a slave to the Torah of sin. How does this work? How well does it work to read this as a typical human being? Yeah, not all typical human beings would say they're a slave to God's Torah. That could be a problem with it. Kendall? They should, though. Yeah, especially some of them. Yes, that's true, yes. Yeah, many typical human beings don't have that acute sense of their own fallenness. Right. That could be... No. That's right. Chapter 1, he's like he lists off all the things they do. He's like they even make up new ways of doing evil. You know, you want to talk about original sin, they they come up with original sins. Get it? Yeah. Tim? Say that again. Right. Right. That yeah, so so if he's talking about all humanity, then Paul would be including himself here. So you run into some of those other same problems. Hmm. This doesn't fit perfectly either. Well, who else could it be? Who, who are some of the characters that Paul keeps trotting out here in Romans? Louise? What's that? A believer, yes. So could this be Paul speaking in the voice not just of himself as Paul, but a typical believer. This is a believer who has come to faith in Christ, right, Who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and is experiencing the things that Paul is describing. So in many ways, you have the same benefits you'd have with Paul, right? So Paul could be saying, I, but not just I, but you all as well. But then you have some of the same problems then, don't you too, Right? Okay, So you'd be saying this could be a Christian. Maybe we'd be talking about a carnal Christian, that is a Christian living in the flesh as opposed to in the spirit, right? Maybe Paul's speaking in the voice of a carnal Christian. That could be. Although it's hard to see the carnal Christian delighting in God's Torah, isn't it? Well. Will? Right? Yeah, so so other people would say, well, maybe Paul is talking about a regenerate Christian. Like a Christian is really kind of dancing in step with God as best he can. And so then that would be a passage which would make that tough, wouldn't it? Somebody else over here had something. Yeah, Kendall? Okay. So this could be a converted Jew. Right? Say a little more about that. Okay All right, so this could be a, okay, could be a Jewish Christian, a Hebrew Christian, somebody who would come. In, in a number of, at a number of points in, in Romans, Paul says, "And I'm speaking to you." In fact, if, here in chapter seven, he's saying, uh, in, in verse one, I'm, "Don't you know my brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know Torah." So there he clearly is addressing uh, folks who are, are part of the community in rome who are believers but are from a jewish background right well that could be too Hmm. yes louise So maybe what he's talking about is, is, is uh, the, re- the, the, the reality of the life that you're living as you experience it. This is all about the, he, maybe he's not talking as much theolo- theologically as experientially. Maybe this chapter, maybe maybe chapter 6 is theology, maybe chapter 7 is psychology. Maybe. That could be. But what, what other things could the I be referring to? We're missing a couple big ones here. If you think back to chapter 5 who else what else i know steve steve went to princeton so let's give somebody else a chance here <clears throat> what are the other characters that paul trots out in romans adam that could be maybe paul here is talking about adam let's try that one on for size I, Adam, would not have known what sin was had it not been for Torah. I wouldn't have known what coveting really was if Torah had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from Torah, sin was dead. And once I was alive apart from Torah, but when the commandment came, sin, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, Adam, and through the commandment put me, Adam, to death. So then Torah is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? No, 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 no. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my, Adam's, death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Well, that kind of works. I mean... You know, if, as long as you don't read Torah as what was delivered on Sinai many years after Adam died, just think about the command that God gave. You can eat from any tree in the garden except that one. How much more interested do you think Adam was in eating from that tree after God said that, right? Like on the cover of your bulletin, you know? I never really wanted to ride a unicycle until I saw the sign that said I couldn't. That could work, maybe. Yeah? maybe. But Paul does keep talking about Torah as Torah. And in fact, earlier on, he talks about death reigning from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who's a pattern of the one to come. So I guess if you look at the command given to, to Adam as sort of a precursor to Torah, maybe that would work. Let's let's see. We We know that the law is spiritual, but I, Adam, and am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I, Adam, don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, that's the very thing I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I, Adam, agree the Torah is good. And as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I, Adam, do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do this. I, Adam, keep on doing. Now, if I, Adam, do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I, Adam, find this Torah at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, God's Torah, but I see another Torah at work in me, waging war against the Torah of my mind. Making me a prisoner of the Torah of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I'm in my—I myself, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's Torah. But in my in my flesh, a slave to the Torah of sin. Hmm. How does that work for Adam? I see a giant thought bubble over Kendall's head that says, meh. <laughs> Bill? <laughs> meh, meh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, maybe that's it. Cold star for you. <laughs> this... This is probably the other big... Uh, the other big category of what this might be that the scholars have cooked up. What Maybe Paul here is talking, giving a narrative of Israel, right? Let's let's try this one out. So uh, is the law sin? Is Torah sin? No, 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 no. Nevertheless, I, Israel, would not have known what sin was if it hadn't been for Torah. I wouldn't have known what coveting really was if Torah hadn't said, you shall not covet, but sin seizing the opportunity afforded me by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from Torah, sin was dead. Once I, Israel, was alive apart from Torah, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I, Israel, died. I, Israel, found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then Torah is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Now, did that which is good become death to me? No, absolutely not. But nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my, Israel's, death. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now, we know that Torah is spiritual, but I, Israel, am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that Torah is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I Israel, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. In Israel, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I, Israel, cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I, Israel, want to do, but the evil I don't want to do this, I, Israel, keep doing. And if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me, in Israel, that does it. So I, Israel, find this Torah at work. Although I, Israel, want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I, Israel, delight in God's Torah. But I see another Torah at work in me, waging war against the Torah of my mind, making me a prisoner of the Torah of sin. that's at work within me, within Israel. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. So then I, Israel, in myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's Torah, but in my flesh, a slave to the Torah of sin. How does that work, Louise? <inaudible> Sorry, speak up, Lou. That's true, they did know perfectly well what sin was before they got to Torah, because while Moses was fetching Torah, what were they doing? They were saying they were making an idol. You had, if you watch the Ten Commandments, you see the first G-rated orgy in recorded history. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, the last sentence only works if this is Israel, then looking forward to deliverance through Jesus, through Messiah. Yeah, but then, yeah, otherwise it's tough. Somebody else had a hand up. Mm-hmm. Right. Did Israel really think they were that bad? Would Israel say, what a wretched man I am? Or would Israel say, "Yeah, you could do worse? What Israel was saying is to the to rescue us. You know? To rescue us from these other wicked, awful people. Is, the problem is not us. The problem is them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that would be a downside. It's kind of annoying, isn't it? I mean, it's it, not only is this hard because we've got a bunch of different options that work in some ways and, and don't work as well in other ways, we're a really key part of Paul's argument here in chapter 7 of Romans. It seems to be a pretty important book. What? It's G all the above, right? Carolina. I'm not sure why it would be so complicated. Okay. Right. that 's a good question Why, did, why does it right do we have to get ourselves all twisted up about this? I mean I think Mike Gorman, when he was here mike gorman who' who's you know an internationally renowned scholar of of Paul, has said that if you know if Paul were to drop in on the meeting of the Pauline Soteriology group at the Society of Biblical Literature, the first thing he would say is, "Guys, give me a break. I was writing this thing in the dark on my way from one place to another <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe, why do we, maybe we don't have to make it so complicated. Maybe we shouldn't take four years to read through this book. Um. <laughs> Unless, of course, this isn't about us. Unless this isn't about us. I mean, if this is about Israel, then it's not about us. But maybe it is. Well, maybe it is. Tim? It's really about grace. It's about grace. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. could be. Yeah, it could be. Okay. We are no longer slaves to sin, and if we say that six is everything that it could be, that we are slaves no longer slaves to sin, that we don't have to sin, then even though I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do, I don't do, seems very experientially true in my life, does it have to be true if I'm not a slave to sin? That's a good question. Maybe. Yes, Bill. Um, could it could be he's trying to set up a paradox we can't solve by ourselves. That could be too. So many possibilities. Yes. Could be. Could be. He's. He's. As Kendall said, he's deliberately being vague, uh, in order to uh, make sure that uh, that we can't quickly dismiss it, saying that it's not about us. Isn't this fun? Yes. This is why. At this point, at this point, B J would be chewing her pencil in half. Uh, because uh, yes, B.J. doesn't appreciate the times that we leave things unresolved at the end. I, she is patient with that and deals with it. Um, but uh, we are we're going to be thinking through this, and I want to encourage you to be thinking through this. I want to encourage you as you go through your weeks, next few weeks. Think about this. Maybe print the text out. You go to BibleGateway.com. You can pick the translation of your choice. You print off in a couple of them. Stick a copy in the in the car, stick it on the sink, stick it next to the oven, far enough away that it won't burn. But think about it. Chew on this. Yes, Louise? Why would he say I if he would have said, especially like Adam? Yeah. I mean, if he said I, right. Right. Is Paul being, you know, do we have to ascribe this much literary uh, trickery to Paul? Or can't, you know, should we just figure the dude said what he meant and meant what he said? Human nature. Human nature. Yeah. Yes. Marlene. That might kind of fit with what Kendall's saying, that he sort of setting up the tension that he's not ready to resolve yet until maybe there's a piece of the puzzle that's missing. Yes, Mike. Did did Paul understand what people would the, the people that well, I think he did. I mean, that's a very No, no, no. Mike is raising a very important point. Did Paul know his audience well enough to know that if he said I There'd be a possibility of people saying, "Oh yeah, of course he 's talking about Adam there, did he? I mean he would be a really lousy communicator if he meant to say one of these things and did it in a way that nobody would get he, he that people, years after him, that's that 's another question, yeah, I mean in some ways you read Paul and you get the sense he didn't didn 't buy green bananas. he thought Jesus was going to show up at any point and sort things out, so he may have been really surprised to find out that for 2,000 years people would be reading his stuff. Maybe will. Well, hmm. I Yeah. Right. What is it, uh, Will's raising the, the very important question, if you're going to ask a question about the text, then you should be looking for answers in the text. What is it about the text, as we have it, that makes us even answer these ask these questions? What fun we're having. Isn't this great? See, aren't you going to miss this? Yeah. So that's what we're going to be messing with for the next couple weeks, and I am going to leave these things thoroughly unresolved and encourage you to think through them. Uh, next week, Brent Latham is going to be preaching. Brent is an ethicist ethicists, I'm very, very disappointed I'm not going to hear what he has to say about this because I'm very interested to hear what an ethicist would have to say about this whole question of doing what you don't want to do and the thing you want to do, that's the thing you don't do. And then in two weeks I'll see if I can't at least set us in a productive orientation as we get ready to go on to Chapter 8. But for now, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we humbly submit to your wisdom. We receive what you've given us, even as we may not appreciate that you haven't made it as clear as we might like it, even if there are things that we find difficult. We continue to return to your word again and again, seeking by your spirit to be guided into all truth. We pray, Lord, that as we continue to seek your face as we continue to study your word, as we continue to seek to know you, that even as we deal with paradoxes, even as we deal with confusion, even even as we work with things that don't seem to add up or that nevertheless you would meet us in them, that you would show us the ways that you would have us live, the things you would have us think. pray that you would be continuing to form our minds, form our hearts, to grow within us a love for your will a desire to please you to make your name known among the nations we ask this in the name of our lord jesus christ israel's messiah amen